0: Welcome to IRO Live with host Bob Bay. Last week I started talking about the four phases, four areas, four stages, four milestones in our lives that we have to go through, that we have to live, and we should live focused in these four areas. Real life was started. 12 almost 13 years ago now I guess 13 maybe 14 years ago I don't know because God had used the 12 steps to change my life and I knew that that the 12 steps helped me get closer to God but I was not satisfied being in NA or AA I tried them both for a long time and it was just missing something there was this thing and the the idea that I was always going to be a drug addict or an alcoholic. That's just the way it was. I was just always going to be stuck there. I was always going to be that. And I didn't feel like that anymore. I didn't want to do drugs. and I didn't want to drink anymore. However, there were a lot of things in me that were messed up still. But God gave me those tools. And I started going to church. And they were talking about all kinds of things. And I was always afraid to talk to church people about what God had done in my life through the 12 steps because when you start talking about 12 steps to a lot of, well back then I'll say it's probably different now but back then you start talking about the 12 steps or AA or NA to church people and they would look at you cross-eyed Side-eyed. and it was really just because they didn't understand they didn't know I was just another person who was hurting I was self-medicating what was going on on the inside of me that was my problem I needed to be saved just as much as everybody else but so did they we got permission to change the steps from AA and a couple years go by and then real life started and we were doing, doing that. But listen, this is what I found out that a lot of times people get focused on the 12 steps and they forget where the power comes from for the steps. I thank God for AA and NA being there when I needed them. But here's the thing. They didn't make that stuff up. They didn't come up with those ideas. There was a group called the Oxford group. And they had five principles that they worked off of. There were a lot of people who were alcoholics and later drug addicts who didn't want to go to church, who didn't want to have anything to do with the God thing. But they needed God, and so that was a way for them to, to begin to build a relationship with it. I think we've come full circle now. And I think now we're at the point of, listen... You can't just focus on the 12 steps, because in and of themselves, they're not going to do it for you. These 12 steps are what lead you to God. I had tried to condense them down to six steps. I had done a lot of things, but over the years, I've come down to these four areas. The first one we started talking about last week was acceptance. I'm going to say all four of them, but don't get freaked out by them. First one's acceptance. The second one's repentance. The third one is deliverance. And the fourth one is obedience. But I can assure you, those don't mean what you think they do. We talked last week about acceptance. We have to come to the point where we accept the idea that we are who we are. And we have to be able to look at who we are right now all the good, bad, and the ugly, all the stuff that's going on on the inside of us, all the choices that we're making. The good and the bad decisions that we're making, we have to look at the reality of that and everything going on in our life and we have to accept the reality of who we are. We have to accept the reality of who we are. This is me. This is who I am. I lived for the longest time pretending to be somebody I was not. I wore a mask. I would be one way when I was around Pam. I'd be another way around when I was at work. I'd be another way when I went to church. I was always pretending to be somebody I wasn't, and I had to get to the point where I was willing to accept this is me. This is who I am, and I had to make some choices. Am I happy with who I have become? Like I talk about in the book, I had become somebody I did not like. I had become somebody that I didn't want to hang around with. I was fake. I talked about This code and this ethic and these being this certain way about being honest and everything. But I would steal and manipulate and cheat and it's just, it was just terrible. I just got to lay this out, right? I had to come to the point where I accepted who I was all the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I had to look and say, Am I happy with who I am? And I was not. I was not happy with the way my life was and who I was. I had been trying to quit doing meth. You know why? Because I could see my life was falling apart. And uh, my daughter was 18 months old. Pam was getting ready to leave me or kill me, one of the two. And I I say that joking around, but she was ready. She was going to take my daughter away. And that just broke my heart. But then again, in a way, I kind of wish she would leave because I just wanted to die. I was tired of living my life that way. I was tired of life being like that. I was tired of having no choice but to go get dope. It's a horrible feeling. No matter where I went, there I was. Everywhere I went, I took me with me. And I was my problem. And so my problem always followed me. And I always thought, if I could just start over, if I could just have a fresh start, if I could just do this, I could, if I could just do that, everything would be better. And it never was. But so I came to that point where I was tired, just like you are. I was tired, and I couldn't deal with it anymore. I wanted to die. And actually, there was a point there where I wasn't doing heroin. Then That wasn't a big thing then. We called it crank, but it was meth. That was the thing then. I just kept doing a little bit more, a little bit more, and I thought, well, I'll just die. There was a couple of people that I knew that died. Everybody was going to prison. You know, they would bust another meth lab, and I'd be like, oh thank goodness I wasn't there. But so I was tired, and I stopped, and I stepped back, and I looked, and I said, this is who I am. This is the way it is, and I can't live like this anymore. Down inside me, I came to that point where I was tired. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it was in that moment that I had this encounter with God. The sky did not open up. The clouds did not part. I was not struck by lightning. I did not hear heavenly voices or anything. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown because something was going on. I just knew that every time I heard the word God, everything would calm down and I would be okay. But then it would start spinning out of control again. I knew He was real suddenly. And from being a kid, I understood that Jesus, the story of Jesus, and that he had died on the cross. I came to the point of saying, God, if you're real, you got to do something. I didn't know what he would do. I said, you have to do something. And I had this encounter with him, and he orchestrated a set of events. One thing, my brother disappeared. My brother had told me that he was going to rob this dealer. And I said, you can't do that. I know he's got guns. You can't, you just can't do that. He's like, he he won't, it'll be fine. He won't even know I'm coming. Two days later he disappeared. I was like, he's dead. He got him. And I couldn't go see because I couldn't go because if I go walking up and my brother had tried to rob him, he would shoot me before I even got close enough to do anything about it. So I couldn't go down there, and I was just, I was just devastated. I was devastated. A couple of days later, I get a phone call. Turns out he had checked himself. My brother had checked himself into treatment center. And I was like, that's awesome, dude. He's going to make it. He's going to make it out. He's going to survive. I figured I wouldn't. He ended up tricking me into going to my first meeting with him. So God orchestrated all of that stuff because I had gotten to the point of saying, God, if you're real, you have to do something. But I had to be watching. It wasn't like I was going to suddenly go down to church and everything was going to be different. He started doing things, and I was just like along for the ride. So this was the second part of the acceptance. I had to accept that God was real, And that he would take care of me. I want to say I had to accept that he loved me, but I couldn't even. There's no way at that point I could accept that God loved me. God was real, and he knew everything. He knew who I was. And there was no way that God could love me. But what I didn't know is he did. He did. He knew what was going to happen, but that doesn't mean he ordained it to happen that way. He knew what you would do, the choices you would be faced with. And he would allow those things to happen so that we would come to the point of choosing him. I have to fast forward now. If we go to Luke chapter 15. If you guys get my book and you read my book. You'll see I had an encounter with God two years before I got sober. He gave me an opportunity to get clean and I didn't take it. Luke chapter 15. And this is the story of the two sons. guys ever heard the story of the prodigal son? I say it's the story of the two sons now because I heard a guy talking about it and he says it because both sons were messed up in the story. In verses 1 through 16, I'm just going to give you the paraphrase. This rich guy has two sons and the one son goes to his dad and he says, listen, can I have my inheritance now? And so the dad gives it to him and he goes to a far off land and he wastes all the money on prostitutes, drinking, and what it says is riotous living. He spends all this money and he runs out of money and he ends up having to, in verse 16, it says, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one would give him anything. He ends up spending all the money and he ends up getting a job. This is a, a Jewish person who pigs are unclean to them and he ends up having to feed the pigs and he wanted to eat what even the pigs would eat but nobody would give it to him and so this is where we're at in verse 17 It says but when he came to himself he said and i'm reading the new king james version but when he came to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my fathers, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is what we're talking about right here, the two parts of it. He came to himself. He realized where he was at. He realized everything he had done. He realized that he had totally messed up, wasted all of it. And he accepted that. Listen, this is where I am. I'm starving to death out here. And he said, my father can help me get out of this mess. He had to go back to his father. Now, in this story, Jesus is telling the story, the father actually represents God. And so he's going to go to God. This is a story for us, Jesus is saying. And so... This is what he says. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't have time to come and say, Dad, I'm so sorry I messed up. I messed up towards God. I just really messed up. He didn't have time to do all of that. Because his dad saw him afar off. Why did his dad see him afar off? Because he was looking for him. He missed him. And so his dad met him. And before he even had really a chance to say anything, his dad had compassion on him. Before he had a chance to say he was sorry and everything. And his dad hugged him. And so he says, listen, I've sinned against you and against God. But basically what he's saying is, listen, this is who I've become, and you're my only answer. That's the acceptance word. We have to walk in the idea, and this is not an easy thing. It seems real easy, but it's not an easy thing. We have to walk in the idea of I am who I am right now because of the circumstances and situations that have happened in my life. And because of the choices I've made, this has made me who I am. And there are parts of me that I do not like. And the only way I'm going to get out of this is to run to my father, which is God. Those are the two major parts of acceptance. So that leads to the next part of it, which is the next phrase or phase is repentance. Repentance. That word gets tossed around a lot in Christian circles and it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. This is important. It does mean being sorry for what you've done. But it means turning away from. Gives the idea of repenting. It's like, I'm heading this way and I'm going to turn away from it. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Give you the backstory of this. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians. I'm not going to go into the whole story of it, but there's this guy who really did some bad things to this other guy and really caused some problems. And the Corinthians didn't do anything about it. They were just letting it go. Actually, he did some other things with another person that affected another guy. And so Paul, this thing had happened, and so Paul writes this letter, and he's like, you guys better get it together. I ain't standing for this. But now he's writing this letter to them because he's written another letter already and he's been pretty harsh in this letter. And so he writes this letter and in verse number eight, it says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance he's saying it hurt them and so he's he was sad that they were hurt by it but he saw that it led them to repentance to turning away and so I want to read this last part here and it says for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss f- from us in nothing so in other words you suffered this godly sorrow and So that it would work out better for you in the end, so that you wouldn't suffer loss from us in the end. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But sorrow of the world produces death. How many of you guys know that, like, when you do something dumb and you have to walk in the consequences of that dumb, like, if let's just say you're speeding and you get pulled over, you could be really sorry. That you got caught speeding and you have to pay a couple hundred bucks and you're fine, right? That's one type of sorrow. Then you can also be sorry that, oh, wow, I don't have that couple hundred bucks. And you could be sorry about the way it affects other people around you. That's another type of sorry. Man, I really wish that hadn't happened. Because that happened, I'm not able to pay my bills now. And so that affects my wife and kids. And you could be sorry about that. And that can weigh on you. And that could turn into depression. It can lead to a series of events that cause depression. That's the worldly sorrow that he's talking about. But then there's a sorry that is a godly sorry. Like the part that we you come to where it's like, okay, this is just wrong. This behavior is wrong. Not because I got caught. And if you read on in there, what ended up happening was is they had a change of heart things changed they didn't want to let all of this stuff go on they didn't want to let this crazy behavior happen they stepped out and said hey wait a minute no this enough is enough they were sided with Paul and they said listen we're not going to allow this to happen there was a change that happened and so why am I saying that in talking about this repentance we have to come to a point in our lives and this is an ongoing thing I still have to walk in this today Almost 35 years after I quit doing drugs, I still have to walk with this mindset. This way of behavior is not right. And so I have to be able to go to, to God and say, God, I'm sorry about this. And I have to do everything in my power to turn around and stop doing that, to stop doing that behavior. I say everything that I can because this is the next word. And we're going to pick up talking about this next week. This is the next word. It's called deliverance. Because what ends up happening is after you hit this point of acceptance and then you come to the point of repentance, something happens on the inside of us and we receive deliverance. In other words, God will change something inside of us and cause things to be different. I had people tell me, well, Bob, after I had like five years clean, actually, I, I, I can say this, that my brother had relapsed after a couple of years. And we were having this conversation, and he said to me, because I had not relapsed, he said, Bob, maybe you just weren't an addict, and that's why it was so easy for you. And I was like, dude, you were there when we were stealing all of that stuff to go buy drugs. You were there when I destroyed everything. You saw what was happening. You were part of it. But what had happened was something had changed inside me. And God was doing things on my behalf to deliver me from all of that. He was delivering me from the consequences of it as well. Many times what ends up happening is is God will come in and begin to deliver us from the consequences of those choices we make. But we start seeing all that and it's like, well, hey, I got away with it this time. Maybe I can do it again. And we go back to it, and we keep going back to it, and keep going back to it. But there comes a point where God says, you've made your choice, and there are going to be consequences, and they could be eternal consequences. You've made your choice. You're going to have to walk in that now. You're going to have to walk through it. And that's why, that's one of the things, well, I'll never pick up a beer now. After 34 years, I could probably drink a beer and not not be a problem. But why would I want to take the chance? Why would I want to do that? And walk in those consequences. So we got two more phases of this and how all of this fits together. If you look at the steps and you break it all into sections, steps one through three is that accepting God as your higher power and accepting that you're not capable of doing it in and of yourself. That's the powerlessness, the denial, all of that stuff. Steps four and five are the part of really getting to look at who you really are, accepting who you are and what you've done, and then being able to go to God and receive that forgiveness from it. The processes that go on are are the next part leading to deliverance and obedience deals with the last six steps, seven through 12. Thanks for listening. Please comment and subscribe for upcoming podcasts. To order your copy of My Real Life, go to the Take Action page at our website, reallifeministries-stl.com or go to Real Life Ministries STL on Facebook.